It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a fantastic and amazing show. I'll be introducing my guest shortly, and I promise we're going to have a lot of fun. But first, I want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. Lately, I've been thinking about the ideas of success and failure. Very often, when we see people succeed, we think of them as an overnight success. Actually, that couldn't be further from the truth. While we see people succeed in the spotlight, what we don't see is all of the hours of hard work that person put in first. For example, Michael Jordan is considered by many to be the best basketball player of all time, but he was cut from his high school basketball team at one point. Colonel Sanders didn't achieve his fortune until he retired after working for someone else his whole life. When he realized how small his retirement check was each month, he knew something had to change. He tried to license his chicken recipe to hundreds of restaurants before finally someone said yes, and the rest was history. And Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times in his attempt to invent the light bulb. What I love about this is he never considered these attempts to be failures. He said that he found 10,000 ways that it simply didn't work. You may not have to fail that many times before you achieve something, but you should also expect that you may not succeed the first time you do something either. Anything worth having comes with a lot of effort, and if you really want to excel at something, you may have to be really bad at it in the beginning. If something didn't work out, just look for another way to do it. If you don't give up, you should eventually get to where you want to go. And with all that in mind, I want to introduce my guest. But before I do, if you've not picked up my latest book, it's called the Greatest Lessons I Learned from Being an Entrepreneur, Volume 3. It is the third and final installment of the series. It's on Amazon. Please get it. I would be happy and grateful if you did. And even leave a five-star review if you think it's worth it. I would appreciate that. My guest this week is Nick Gray. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He moved to New York City with very few friends and less than stellar social skills, but he craved new relationships and exciting opportunities. He started hosting non-traditional parties, a move that opened doors he never could have imagined. Today, after hosting hundreds of two-hour parties, he counts business owners, artists, and inspiring teachers among a circle of friends that helped him launch a multi-million dollar company. Featured in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, he has been called a host of culturally significant parties by New York Magazine, and you can learn more about him at nickgray.net, or you can find him on all the socials at Nick Gray News. We are going to start right away and here we are with my very special guest nick gray nick welcome to the show how are you i'm doing great i'm excited to talk about parties and all that fun stuff absolutely so am i so the question i like opening with is did you envision early on that you would be where you are now no way i you know i grew up i collected baseball cards and comic books i was a big computer nerd i think i still am a big computer nerd but mm -hmm. um i never had a lot of friends when i was in high school i definitely was not popular and never really had even a girlfriend in my 20s so mm -hmm. to now lead a life of you know writing a book about how to host a party feels very weird yeah, I bet. So tell us a little bit about your path. You weren't in this space to start with, were you? 
No, no, I definitely wasn't in the party space. Um, I the, the last thing I did was kind of interesting. I, I was famous briefly on the internet for it. I started a company called Museum Hack that did renegade museum tours at some of the biggest, best museums in America. And what that meant was my company would hire people like stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to lead these museum tours at big museums like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and uh, yeah, I grew that to about 50 employees and multi-million dollars in sales. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. So was that a business that you enjoyed? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, especially during the early days, I did it for fun. It was a hobby, I never meant it to be a business, but things happened and it kind of became a viral sensation and I had to make it a business. And then to be honest, yeah, towards the later days, I just wasn't as good at running a business and it was it was less fun towards the later end. Yeah. And you ended up selling that company, right? Yep. I sold it in a non-traditional way in 2019. How did you do that? I did it through seller financing, which means that the folks who bought it from me didn't put any money down and actually sold it to the marketing director and the CEO at the time. And they came to me and said, hey, Nick, we, we have a plan. We'd love to do this. We don't have any money, but the business is making money. We think we can run it and pay you back in a couple of years. And we ended up sort of coming up with a plan that really worked well for everyone. No, oh, and have you been paid off? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been paid off. Well, they've, no. they've actually taken the business to new places that I never could have. I didn't have skills to do that, and yeah. they were way better than I was. Absolutely. So how do you put yourself in a position to be able to sell a company? I think you have to learn and know how to make the business run without you. This was my second business. I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, so I've known that you need to hire staff and remove yourself from the business. Have you read the book, um, um, Built to Sell? I don't think I've read that one yet, no. Really, really good book that that if anybody's out there listening and thinking about, hey, how do I start a company that, that I'll be able to sell one day? You've got to read that book because it talks about making yourself replaceable and creating services and products that you can sell. Wow, that is absolutely fantastic. I, I love that. So, what do you believe was your rock bottom moment and how did you get out of it? Hmm. My rock bottom moment, probably the darkest time as a business owner was when one of my very first tour guides was trying to split off to start their own rival business, tried to steal a lot of my employees and customers. And I really had to go to all the employees and and convince them why to stick out with me and why to stay. And at this time, the business wasn't a success yet. It was still kind of launching and figuring out. That was a definitely a deep, dark time for me. Wow. So how did that how did that resolve itself? It resolved itself. I, I think I did a good enough job to paint a picture of the future that I plan to create. And I got the employees, most of them, to stick around. And we ended up building what became really the best museum tour guide company in the whole world. That's fantastic. So how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? You started out as a, a computer geek and then you became an entrepreneur. What was that connection? What was that path? My path to being an entrepreneur, which I think is one maybe that a lot follow or maybe not, but I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My dad was always like a mad scientist, had all of these ideas and trying to start businesses. And so that blood was within me. And I had web hosting businesses in college. I started a software company, was always hustling for stuff. Mm, so yeah. that that idea of always running my own business and never working for somebody else always was in me. Absolutely. Was your family supportive of your entrepreneurial path? 
Yeah, let me just think. Yes, they were definitely supportive of me doing business. I wasn't like encouraged to go work for Microsoft or something like that. Right. They didn't want me to have a very you know stable job. They didn't fund my startups, but I never really did businesses that required a lot of money. Like mm. museum tours, I did on the nights and the weekends, and I did it until I had saved up enough money. But they certainly were incredibly supportive. That's not to say that they weren't, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they were hugely supportive of me. I love that. So what would you say your big mission is? Today, my mission is to help people make more friends. I think we're in a loneliness epidemic yep. and it gets harder for people to make friends as adults. And we forget how to do that. And 19% of American men say they don't have a single close friend, 15% of women. So mm -hmm. I wrote this book about how to meet friends by hosting parties. And, you know, it's not about the alcohol or the food or anything like that. It's really about the people. Yeah, and we will definitely talk about the nuts and bolts of how to do that and the benefits of doing that, certainly in the next segment. You also got to do a TEDx talk, didn't you? Yes, I did a TEDx talk for a huge audience. I think there were about 3,000 people there. It was very nerve-wracking. I bet. So what was it about? My TEDx talk was about why I hate museums mm. and how I'm trying to make them more fun for people, specifically art museums. You know, science museums with dinosaurs and stuff, those are real fun, but yeah. art museums can be a little boring. Yeah, I bet. How did you go about getting that opportunity? The TEDx talk came from to me through my network really it's the power of hosting these parties and building a network of acquaintances that i feel so strongly about mm -hmm. and it came to me through somebody there now i had a leg up in that i was a museum tour guide at the time so i sure. did these tours so i was giving basically versions of my tedx talk almost every single day as a tour guide and i think that's what helped to make it easier for me to give my talk i love that so here's a question that I've been asking a lot lately, and I love the answers that I get. What would you consider to be the most expensive mistake you have ever made? It can be financial, it doesn't have to be. It could be a time energy thing. It could be an opportunity that you should have taken advantage of, or it should be, maybe it's something that you held on to way too long. But what is the most expensive mistake you think you've made? Oh man, I'm gonna get like super detailed, but during the last run up of the US um, tech um, equity markets, you know, one thing I never really thought about or considered was the role of the Fed and the Federal Reserve in the mm. pricing of assets and especially around um, tech stocks. So I certainly made enough mistakes as things were doing really well to invest when market valuations and things like that were just completely out of whack with reality. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. We've got maybe about a minute or so left to our break. Do you have coaches? I don't personally have a coach. I know the value in having coaches. Do you have a coach? I do. It's been nice, fantastic. Nice. What do they yeah. Do? Yeah. Uh, my business coach basically helps me uh, not make mistakes. <laughs> he points out flaws in my plan. He gives me guidance. He points me toward his resources and his network that can help facilitate the things that I'm trying to do. So yeah, it's been a really incredible journey. In fact, I had my best year last year in my that business because I had a coach. Yeah. That's huge. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really do appreciate that. What do you think is the highest value skill that anyone needs to develop? I think building your network. I think the network of acquaintances that you have, and I talk about acquaintances a lot because all big relationships start at the level of acquaintances. And yeah. I think that building your network, that phrase, your network is your net worth, I really do think is true. 
And that, especially as we head into a recession, building up those strengths, adding value before you ask for anything, that mm -hmm. is a key skill to have. Absolutely. We are coming up against our first break. My very special guest this week is Nick Gray. He is the author of the book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. And we're going to talk about why he wrote the book. We're going to talk about why you should have cocktail parties, two-hour cocktail parties, and how you can actually plan this for yourself. We'll be right back. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's What was the first item ever sold on eBay? Believe it or not, it was a broken laser pointer sold in September 1995 for $14.83. The founder of eBay asked the buyer if he knew the laser pointer was broken when he bought it. The owner simply said, I'm a collector of broken laser pointers. Seems pointless to me, but this seemingly worthless item was a bellwether of merchandise to follow. Here are some Jifu jets or other unnecessary items that have been sold on eBay. Some Goostrum noodles will buy anything, even a cornflake. Yes, a cornflake shaped like the state of Illinois, sold for about $1,350. What was one of the most expensive eBay.com purchases? A $140 million yacht. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.brienkwright.com for more information. Once again, that's brienkwright.com. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. And if you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, that would be unbelievable. And leave a review. That would mean a lot. And you can go back and listen to any of the 11 years worth of Success Profiles Radio that we've done here. And episode 500 is coming up very, very soon. I cannot wait. So, Nick Gray, let's talk about your book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. Why did you write the book? I wrote the book. It all came out of a Google Doc that I had that was passed to my own friends, teaching them how to host an event like I did. I hosted hundreds of parties in New York City. And then when I moved to Austin, I learned how to host parties in order to build my network here. But I just wrote it because I got so many benefits from hosting myself. It truly changed my life. I feel very passionate about it. Absolutely. What did you learn about yourself through the process of writing this? Hmm. Um, I learned, one, that I should never do a book. I learned that I'm a perfectionist. 
Mm. And I learned that, what else? It takes a team for, yeah. for a big thing like this. For me, it was a very, very hard process. Absolutely. And this book is based on lots of research and doing thousands of events, right? Yes, hosting a lot of events. And I figured out a formula that I think works well that anyone can follow. And now hundreds of people have to host their first party. So when you moved to Austin, Texas, you didn't know anybody. So did you have these parties to get to know people? That's exactly what I did. Now, I knew a couple people. So I had what I call okay. my core group. You need yes. to have five people who you can have attend your party and really be your core group. And everything grows off of those first five. So I was lucky to have about my core. Maybe I had three or four. And then I was able to grow from that. So have your core group of five people first. That's a great idea because you have to have a built-in support system because the last thing you want to do is make a big to-do about something and then no one shows up. Is that a fear that you've ever had? Oh my God, that is the number one fear for a new party host. It's that no one will show up. So that's a huge thing that I work through. And I'm happy to say that readers of my book and my method say that they have over 93% attendance rate of those who say they're going to come actually show up. Wow, that's that's impressive because if that, well, that was actually one of the things I was planning on asking later is if you want 20 people to come to your party, how many people do you invite? Well, if you want 15 to 20 is what I find is the best number. That's the real number to have. 15 to 20 is the perfect mix. You need to invite more than that. Now, if you live in a small town where there's not a lot going on and you have a strong community, maybe you only need to invite 15. I talked to a guy three weeks ago who read my book. He said he had 19 people show up and he only invited 18. Somebody else oh. brought a friend, I guess. <laughs> nice. So do you find that people who are invited will also bring friends? Sometimes, sometimes they bring friends. I think at these earlier parties, the more the merrier. And what you really want, you're not trying to limit your list. Some people say, oh, I don't want someone to bring a significant other. I said, well, let them come. You know, Your first mm -hmm. party should be a low stakes affair because you're just learning how to host. You're just working out these, these muscles of party hosting. Yeah, because you're learning. That's, that's amazing. So apart from the benefits of meeting new people why host why host a party like this because there are lots of different gatherings that you can attend networking parties can be really boring right and yes. dinner parties can be horrible because if you're stuck seated next to someone that you aren't <laughs> vibing with you can't escape you're trapped you're trapped you're exactly right dinner Absolutely. parties are hard to host you know and i yeah. think that some, some of your listeners probably host dinner parties and they do it well. I yeah. tried to write a book that people that had never hosted before mm. could be successful with. I'm trying to inspire a new generation of hosts. Here's what's wrong with dinner parties. Number one, it's a big time commitment for, yeah. for you to invite somebody. If your goal is to make new friends and you've never really hung out with somebody, a dinner is a, it's a rather intense invitation. Number two, I found that I could get 80% of the benefits of a cocktail party in only 20% of the work. What mm. that means is a cocktail party is less stress, it's less expensive, and I can invite more people to it. I hosted yeah. dozens of dinner parties and ultimately decided that cocktail parties helped me a lot more than dinner parties did. Oh, that's fantastic. So when is the best time to do this, especially considering people's busy schedules? 
Now, I believe this is a little controversial, so you might hate it, but tell me what you think. Okay. The best day to host a party using my formula, the two-hour cocktail party, is only on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night. I like that. I like that because weekends are taken by lots of other things. You don't want to compete about you don't want to compete with other social engagements. That's exactly what it is. Weekends are socially competitive nights. I find Thursday, Friday, Saturdays are busy nights. Other things get scheduled. And for a new host, you're likely to get bumped or people will have schedule conflicts that pop up. I suggest people host their first party on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night only to boost their attendance rate and make it easier for people to say yes. Now, in doing that, you need to set a reasonable two-hour time limit. We're not going to yeah. do 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. No. I suggest something like, you know, 6 to 8 p.m. or 7 to 9 p.m. Yeah, I, I love that. And you certainly don't want to try and compete with holidays because everyone oh. is making plans. You know what? One of my very best friends hosted his first party ever on the most red level day ever. He hosted a New Year's Eve party as his first party. Oh. And I said, Steve, this is the most competitive night. Everybody's going to get a lot of invitations. I And there was a lot wrong with it. You know, he he survived ultimately and his party yeah. was fine. But I say, make it easy for yourself. Host it right. on a night where there's low stakes and no stress. Remember that these parties, they're not about the drinks or the food or the decorations. They're about the people. Right, right. So do you have a favorite place to host your parties? I feel strongly that the best place to host your party is at your home. Even if you live in a tiny house, a tiny apartment like I used to live in New York City, your home is the best place. And I'll tell you why. Number one, it's the most generous. There's no mm. bar bill you are inviting somebody, it is vulnerable. And when mm -hmm. you invite someone into your home, you turbocharge the relationship. It's mm. almost like they're going on a little date with you. Yeah. And that is really what makes it special. By hosting in your home, you snap it out of that networky work feeling. It's completely different. Yeah. What would you say about hosting something like this at a library? Probably not a great idea. I don't mind the library idea. If Hosting at home is absolutely not possible to you. Mm -hmm. For 5% of people, it's absolutely not possible at all. Then right. I love the idea of hosting a gathering at a community space, like a library, a shared space, like in mm -hmm. an apartment complex. Yeah. I love those ideas. And that works as well. Right. But you don't want to do it in a bar because there's always going to be there's gonna be noise and other people are there. You can't rent out the whole bar. I don't like a bar. I call bar, bar parties barties. And it's like a little piece of me dies inside. There's other people there. It's loud. It's not generous. People have to pay for all their drinks. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a mixed crowd. You don't know who's part of the party and who's not. You can't control the environment. And that's yeah. what I want to be able to do. Is it easy or difficult to set parameters such as please don't bring your kids? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, the kids thing, as a single adult male myself, I'm not entirely qualified, but having talked to dozens of people who read my book and hosted parties with kids, I'll tell you what I hear, okay? Mm -hmm. Number one, if you are able to hire childcare for mm -hmm. your party, make yeah. it easy for your guests to bring their kids if they need to. Number two, 
do not let the kids run around the party. And why is that? Because the adults need space to create adult relationships. That's why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Adults will oftentimes use children as a conversational crutch to not make new friends. So Mm -hmm. we really want that. Number three, if you're going to host with your kids at home, host a simultaneous kids party. Let them have a movie night in another area of the house while you and the adults get to gather and talk. Perfect time frame because your party's two hours and so is a movie. Exactly, right? <laughs> I love that. That's great. So are there other places that you would or would not recommend other than what we've already talked about? Other places to host, I think 95% of the people should host at home. And even if you think it's not right, I have a whole chapter in my book about why hosting at home is best. If Mm -hmm. you're worried that your house is too messy, that it's too far away, that it's not large enough, I promise you, I've thought of all these things, Mm -hmm. and your home is probably the best place to host. And that brings up another really great question. What if you live in an apartment and you're really concerned about whether you can get 15 or 20 people to actually fit in your apartment? I have a photograph of a guy who read my book. His name is Bruce. He lives in New York City. His apartment is about the size of four yoga mats. It is small. And Bruce hosted a party, and he sent me a selfie with 16 people gathered inside. There's Mm -hmm. another guy, Noah, who I wrote an article about. I'll try to include this in the show notes or if we do a blog. Noah hosted over 28 people in a tiny 450-square-foot apartment. I tell you what, small houses, small homes, small apartments are actually better for hosting parties because the energy is higher. A huge mansion feels boring. It feels empty. It feels dull. I actually like parties in smaller spaces more. Wow. So let me ask this. If you have, for example, a dream list of people that you would love to connect with, is this the ideal way to do it? Oh my God, I'm so glad that you asked that. Yes, but not for your first party. Your first party should be those that you're comfortable with, not those that you're trying to impress. Why is that? Because for your first party, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be a little bit scared to run icebreakers. You're going to be, you know, name tags at my party. I don't want you to feel nervous about somebody you have to impress. I want you to host your first party with your neighbors, your friends, your old work colleagues. Wait until you've learned the formula and you host it well, and then you can invite those to reach, to build your network and create powerful, powerful connections. Is it better that you invite this person or is it better if somebody else who's coming knows this person? Let's just, we got less than a minute to our break, but let's just say that you, you have somebody in mind that you've been dying to meet. Is it better if that person comes invited by a friend or is it better to invite them even though you're a stranger to them? Short answer before we go into the break is you want everyone to RSVP to your party separately. We'll talk Uh, more about that after the break. Absolutely. And my guest is Nick Gray. And if you are even slightly curious about this book, which I sure hope you are, it is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. This is a really good book, y'all. You really need to get it. It's on Amazon. We'll be right back. This is Success Profiles Radio. See you on the other side.
mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Nick Gray. And his book is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. How to build big relationships with small gatherings. And as you probably heard during at least one of the commercial breaks, I do help people write their books. And if this is something that you'd like to entertain, I would love to have that conversation with you. Go to writeabookforyou.com, spelled all the way out. At the bottom, you can get a link to my calendar. You can also go to callwithbrian.com to get that very same link to my calendar. So I'd love to talk to you. Oh so my Nick, God. As somebody who tried to write their own book, I would say hire Brian to help make it easier. Yes. It is a daunting task to try to do it by yourself. I know. It is, especially if you've never done it before and don't really know what you're doing. It's a whole lot better to have some guidance than it is to try and flounder and flip around without having any idea what's going on. He's so, right. yes. Thank you so much. Before the break, we were talking about having a dream list of people you'd love to invite to your party. And you mentioned the idea that everyone should RSVP separately. Tell us more about that. I think that you want your guests to know what they're coming to. You want them to know that there'll be name tags and icebreakers at your party. That's a key element to my party formula, by the way, mm -hmm. name tags and icebreakers. And if they just come with a friend to show up, they're surprised by icebreakers and name tags. I don't know. I think that might not be ideal. So I like mm -hmm. everybody to RSVP so that they can get a good idea of what they're going to expect. You mentioned name tags. I imagine that there are some people who are resistant to that. It's like, yes. I don't, yeah, I don't want to wear a name tag. Yes. Maybe, maybe I'll just, you know, those, those, my name is, well, my name is awesome. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm sure you yes. get people who try to trick the system that way. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a key thing for hosts. You can't let people use fake names because then half of them use fake names, a quarter use real names, and the others don't really comply. They don't use name tags. So here's why name tags are important. Number one, Let's think about what it's like to attend a party for an introvert or someone with social anxiety. Right. Name tags really, really help people feel more welcome, comfortable, and included. 
The sweetest sound to anyone's ears is the sound of their own name. And name tags make that easy to do. So I think that's really important. Second, I think about name tags like a sports jersey that show that you're all on the same team. Well, a name tag is a visual unifier that everybody's on the same team. It's a safe space to meet new people. It's not a click party where everybody's knowing their work colleagues. Everybody there is, it's a safe space to go say hello to somebody new. Name tags are so helpful and every one of my parties has them. And you'll remove the resistance of people saying, ooh, I don't want name tags, when you simply tell people in advance, hey, everybody, there'll be name tags at the party because I'm bad with names. I want to help you all meet new people. Yeah. It moves 99% of the resistance. And is it also a good idea to centralize the writing of the names on the name tags? Because some people have great penmanship and others don't. Exactly. The thing that I found that I do is I actually write all the name tags myself. And why do I do that? So that I have a chance to welcome and greet every single guest. So even at like your library talk, you might consider using name tags. It gives you a chance to say, hey, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. How do I spell your first name? And you write down their name in big block letters. You say, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming. I'm glad you're here. Absolutely. And for context, I told Nick during the break that I'm doing a talk at my local library in a couple of weeks. So that's what that was about. <laughs> and yeah. it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. I mean, I moved back to Iowa. I live in this little little town in the middle of a cornfield in north central Iowa, and I'm going to be talking at my local library. So I'll have a few people there and I'm looking forward to it. So let's talk more about the process of planning all of this. We talked about having name tags. Uh, sending invitations is important because you want to you want to know who's coming, but you also want to guide who you're asking to come because that's important, especially if they're coming to your house. Yes, yes, that's so key is sending invitations. Now, here's something that folks tell me is really amazing. They say the invitation system in my book is so unique. And here's why. I never blast the invite to people to a big list. I invite people one-to-one. -one. Yes. I'd send you a message. Hey, Brian, I'm thinking of hosting a cocktail party in two weeks at my house on this date and this time. Can I send you the info? And I wait for you to say yes until I send you the link to RSVP. So right. that's really, really important. And it's that double opt-in process that helps boost your attendance rates. Yeah. So is that how you ensure that your invitations get responses then? That helps. The other thing that helps are my reminder messages. Now, I use mm. three reminder messages leading up to the party. One that I send a week beforehand, another that I send three or four days before, and a final reminder message the morning of. Now, you might be listening and say, that's too many reminders. You're spamming. Well, I promise you, it's not too many. I've never had anybody complain. And second, they're little quick emails, and it shows mm -hmm. that you're a host who cares. You're someone who's actually putting effort into your party, and people appreciate that. Yeah. Is there a script for this email in your book? Uh, there are scripts. Uh, thank you for setting me up. That's a layup. I have scripts <laughs> for everything in my book. Everything that you can say, all these messages, all the scripts are included word for word. Yeah. And everybody steals them. I love it. It makes me yeah. happy. Awesome. Are you only reminding people who have RSVP'd or are you also sending reminders to people that have not yet? 
So for that first message, the one that's one week away, I will also send it to those who haven't yet RSVP'd, okay? And I'll include the link and stuff like that. For the last reminders, I'm only sending it to those people who have signed up and RSVP'd. And because here's why, I include my secret weapon in those last two messages, and that's what I call my guest bios. Now, guest bios are just a little blurb about each person that's attending the party. It could be as simple as, you know, Brian lives in Iowa, he's a successful author, and he hosts a radio show. Mm -hmm. um, ask him about his library meetup. Or it could be somebody else. Rob loves to do yoga, he's my neighbor, and this will be the first time that we've hung out. They're little conversational access points that serve to get people excited to attend your party, to make new friends, and they also help to boost that attendance rate. Are you purposely inviting people in different industries or do you sometimes invite people to the same industry so they can connect with one another? I do like to mix up the, the, the group. I think diversity in age and occupation is really important. So I love to invite people from, you know, my, my local coffee shop barista to mm -hmm. old work colleagues to people mm -hmm. I went to college with. I really mix it up. That's what's special about these parties is you'll be inviting people from different groups in your life. Absolutely. So the other thing that you also advocate is having an event page. So this is a place where people can go to learn more about the party and it solidifies the deal, right? Exactly. Having an event page to collect RSVPs is incredibly helpful. It, it just shows that you're serious about your party. A lot of people, I talk to them, oh, how's your party going? How many RSVPs? Well, you know, I think about 20. I just sent it out, you know, a, a graphic to people on text and they never collect those RSVPs. You risk having nobody show up. And that's, that's one of the biggest fears of a new party host that I'm trying to fight against. Right. Do you, and this is a layup, do you coach people on how to do these parties? Is that part of your business model? So I love to talk to people about parties and almost anyone who reads my book, I do phone calls with people leading up to it and the, the day afterwards. I do this all now for free for fun because I'm spending the first year just kind of connecting with my readers and seeing what's helpful. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've set up your event page. We've talked a little bit about how do you know who to invite. Should you stick to people you know or have you have and we kind of touched on this a little bit. You talked about having your core group of five people, but have you ever done a party where you literally knew nobody that you were inviting? Oh my God. I did a party in New York City once where I put flyers all around the city say, do you want to meet new people? Do you want new friends? Come to my party. And I hosted a party for random people and it was very risky. I wouldn't recommend people doing this, but because I'm like a party monster and I'm hosting, yeah. yes, I did that. And it was a unique experience, but I wouldn't recommend it to others. Absolutely. So what kind of preparation goes into this on the day, on the day of, or on the days leading up to it? I mean, if you aren't doing it at home, you need to locate a venue, lining up food and drinks. You said this isn't a dinner party. So are you managing expectations that this is going to be drinks and snacks? Yeah. 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 You're letting people know, hey, no formal dinner will be served, but I'll have some light snacks and drinks. What type of preparation is needed? Well, you need to tidy up your home. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I have more junk than anybody around my house. And my secret mm -hmm. is I keep some spare boxes, whether that's old Amazon boxes or plastic mm -hmm. tubs. And yeah. I kind of just sweep off all the countertops with books and hats and random 
stuff yeah. my mail, sweep it into the boxes, and I throw those in my closet. Oh, and yeah. That is a safe thing to do. I'll tell you what, nobody's ever busted into my room, into the closet. Hey, right. here's where he keeps his junk. Nobody right. will do that. No, but I do and, that. Yeah. yeah. And you know you're adulting when you don't want to throw away a box because it's a really great box. Yes, yes, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I have a collection of them in a closet. Absolutely. So let's walk through the navigation of the party. People begin to arrive. How do you set expectations for your guests? When they start to arrive, I try to give them little, I don't know, signposts or goalposts. I say, hey, everybody, welcome. It's a seven o'clock. You know, folks are going to show up over the next five or 10 minutes. We'll do our first round of icebreakers in about 20 minutes. Um, I let people know what to expect. And constantly throughout the night, I'm making little administrative announcements, if you will, mm -hmm. to let people know what to expect. That helps them understand and be successful. Absolutely. We've got two minutes until our final break. So what do you say to guests? How do you get your guests to mingle with proven and tested scripts? To get the guests to mingle, I'm looking to see are people moving around the room? Are people talking and chatting and meeting new people? That's for me what's really key. Okay. And mm -hmm. so one way that I do that is by leading two and a half rounds of icebreakers. Now I say two and a half because that first half one happens right in the first five minutes. When there's just a couple people there, you as the host are gonna just as a practice say, hey everybody, let me just do a practice round of icebreaker, circle up, say your name and what you do for work real quick. And by the way, if somebody doesn't wanna talk about work, then they can share a hobby that they do or how they spend their days. Mm -hmm. um, then later on in the party, we'll do two more rounds of icebreakers. One where the whole room, every all the attendees will say their name, what they do for work and one of their favorite things for breakfast. Now, that mm. might sound silly or cheesy to you, but having done thousands of icebreakers, I tell you that when there's very little rapport built up, when the room is cold and it hasn't, you know, folks are still meeting, you need an easy icebreaker. And the yeah. breakfast one works 100% of the time. Later on at the party, about an hour later, you'll do a value additive icebreaker. And that one is one of my favorites that leaves people thinking that you're a smart, amazing host. It's a great icebreaker. Great, and we can talk about more of that when we come back from our break. I can't believe how quickly this is going. This is a lot of fun. And we were talking about hosting two-hour cocktail parties to get to know people and to build relationships. And we'll talk after the break about whether sometimes these parties lead to business. And that's a great thing. I mean, I know people I've interviewed on this show who say, I don't do anything unless I know how to make money from it. We'll talk yes. about that aspect. And we'll come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. 
It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymis and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. And don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Nick Gray, and his book is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. And if you have not looked on Amazon for this yet, please do it. It's a great, easy read, and he gives a lot of really, really great ideas. And we're walking through some, but not all, of the things in his book because we don't want to let the entire cat out of the bag. I'm not sure how you let half a cat out of the bag, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. So we're talking about icebreakers and warming up the room because you want people to be engaged in conversations with each other. You want them to mingle around. But let's say that somebody is in a deep conversation with someone and you announce an icebreaker and they're resisting the idea of breaking off that conversation. How do you handle that? Here is what I found, and it's the secret that most people don't know. The best conversations will reform later. You know, a lot of people will see people chatting at a party and, oh, I don't want to interrupt them. I promise you, interrupt them. The best conversations will reform afterwards. Having hosted hundreds of events and doing thousands of icebreakers, I found that even if I break the room for a second, those people in a great conversation, they will rejoin to continue their conversation later. Absolutely. So toward the end of the party, you have examples of advanced icebreakers and you teased this. Mm. Give us an example of one and then tell us how this adds to the experience of the party. So I like to do for my last icebreaker of the night, a value additive icebreaker. What do I mean by that? I mean an icebreaker where people's answer adds value to the room. Here's the one I do the most. I say, share with us one of your favorite pieces of media that you've consumed recently. That could be a podcast, a radio show, a television show, a book. What's a great book you read recently or Mm -hmm. even an article? Mm -hmm. And I ask people to share that. I give them a five-minute warning, by the way. Hey, everybody, in five minutes, I'm going to ask this question. Um, 
I do that because people get great recommendations. You know, yeah. we're inundated, we're overloaded these days with digital saturation. And when you hear good recommendations at a party from your neighbors, your friends, new acquaintances, it really goes a little bit deeper in it. It's yeah. just, it's really nice. I like that one. Yeah. In fact, that is one of my favorite questions in the final segment is what is the most influential book you've ever read? Oh, that's a great question. So what is your answer? <laughs> you know, is it cliche? Does everybody say the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? No. In fact, probably the most quote unquote cliche answer is Think and Grow Rich, but that's a great book too. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a like, good book. I like Atomic Habits. I'm not done with it yet, but mm -hmm. it's a great book. Yeah. Um, it's a very good book. There's another book I also like. If you're interested in gatherings and events, it's a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Fantastic mm. book. And she's one of the top thinkers in gatherings and meetings and things like that. Wow, that is absolutely fantastic. Do you find that icebreakers around favorite travel locations or favorite vacations is something that you've used or would it be a great idea? Hmm. I would think about what the purpose is with that type of icebreaker. If I was yeah. doing it at the beginning when there wasn't a lot of rapport, I think it yeah. could be interesting. I don't think it's value additive to the room, though. No, probably not. I, I like that. I'm glad I asked. So you limit this to two hours. And is it a hard stop after two hours? It is generally a hard stop, but I'll tell you why. You want to give people who need to leave an excuse to exit. Have you ever yeah. been at a party and you're kind of you kind of want to go, but you don't want to be the first to harsh the right. vibe or break the right. energy? Exactly. Well, when you end your party decisively, you give people an excuse to leave and they are so thankful for that. The ones who need to go. Yeah. You also show people that, you know, it's a work night. You know, we host these on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. We're not going to be up till midnight. Right. And I find that ending the party on a high note, ending it when the energy and the excitement level is high is such a positive thing. Right. Do you give people the option to stick around or do you encourage them to take the party elsewhere if they want to continue? I think I, I really try to encourage them to take the party elsewhere. And here's why I, yeah. as a host, want to clean my house. I want to go to bed with a clean home so that the next day I can wake up excited and energized and happy that I hosted. Yeah. I'm trying to write a formula for people to make hosting a habit. Yeah. You know, the great best people in life do things repeatedly that others yeah. only do occasionally. And when you can learn to host a party mm -hmm. regularly, your life will change. Do you let people attend your parties over and over again, or do you try to get a different crowd every time? I do something. This this kind of went viral when I shared online. I actually make a list of my favorite guests after every party. Oh. Who showed up on time, who offered to help out, who brought a bottle of wine, who's exceptionally social. And I keep a list of those great guests. The short answer to your question is, yeah, sure, folks, folks, folks can come back. And I invite these repeat guests. The more advanced answer is as you grow your network and you build your network of acquaintances, you probably want about half repeat guests and half new people. Yeah, that sounds fair. So how do you follow up with guests after the party? The morning after the party, I send them a quick little thank you message and I include the group photo that we took at the party. Mm. Uh, that's about it. If I'm trying to build a relationship with somebody and I want somebody to, you know, maybe have a coffee meeting with them or get to know them better for business, yeah. you really got to follow up the next morning. The next morning is your best chance to do it because the half-life for reciprocity on a party is one or two days, I've found. 
Wow. And the group photo thing is a great idea because some of those people may post it. Yes. And the group photo also helps you as social proof to share for your next party. When you're inviting people, you can show them a great group photo of all the other mm -hmm. people hanging out. It's excellent. Yeah. Have you ever done costume cocktail parties or is that just a bad idea? I love the idea. That could be fun. I was invited once to a Halloween party and the host did something so interesting. He said, look, you're busy. You're all entrepreneurs. Don't even worry about a costume. I'll have some ready and waiting for you at the door. And I thought that was such a generous idea to provide easy little costumes, you know, yeah. that we all could do that took no work and we could just show up and have fun. That sounds great. So has this led to new business and opportunities for you? Oh my God, hosting parties helped me launch my last business, Museum Hack, that turned into a multi-million dollar company because I had a network of acquaintances who knew me and mm -hmm. they knew that I hosted events. I built my network and then my business based off these parties. Did you host parties at your museum parties or did these two businesses not intersect? I did, yeah, yep. I hosted a lot of parties at the museum. I, I hosted my birthday party at the museum. It's really wow. how we became successful with Museum Hack was businesses would come to us wanting to host their company holiday party with us mm. at the museum, and so that was big. Oh, that's amazing. So out of all the parties you've hosted, which party offered you the greatest learning experience? You know, this is funny. I always use my birthday each year to host a big party. I think you have to host your birthday on your actual birthday party. So you have to host your birthday party on the actual day of your birthday. Okay. So mm -hmm. if your birthday is a Tuesday, you have to host the party on that Tuesday. So every year I always do a big thing. And one year I was doing such a big party that I actually had rehearsal parties leading up to the main party. Oh. And one of my biggest learnings was one of the rehearsals was actually better than the main party. Oh. It's because the stress was lower. I got to have more fun. All those things for me just, just made me not, not as stressed. I got to enjoy yeah. it more. Great. So what is your favorite party that you've ever hosted? I turned 40 about a year ago. And for my 40th birthday, I, um, I rented out a whole um, indoor water park here in mm -hmm. central Texas. And I rented out the whole water park for all my friends. And we rode on slides and did all this silly stuff. And you know what? For the rest mm -hmm. of the day, everybody was sore and stretching and just kind of taking a breather because we're, we're not as young as we used to be. I'll say that. No, exactly. Why do you think entrepreneurs struggle in their businesses? Hmm. That's a good question. There's a lot of different reasons. Maybe for revenue, for sales. I think a lot of people have never run a business before and they, right. they just don't know what's actually required. It's a lot of sales. Yeah, absolutely. And because you've run multiple businesses and because you t stay very, very, very busy, what would you say are some of the most uh, beneficial productivity tips that you can share with us? Hmm. Um. I don't know. A lot of people are talking about this, but um, I don't drink alcohol myself and I found right. I'm a lot more focused and productive, even though I wrote a book about cocktail parties. Isn't that ironic? And I don't drink alcohol myself. But that right. phrase cocktail party, by the way, doesn't mean you have to have alcohol. It just symbolizes a lightweight social gathering mm -hmm. that's easy to attend where there's little conversations and it's low commitment. Absolutely. What has surprised you the most about entrepreneurship? all the great people that I get to meet. I guess one thing though, that is 
sometimes a surprise to people when their business starts to get successful is how lonely it can be. Yes. Um, that, that as a business owner, you know, there's not your peer group changes a little bit. Right. Absolutely. So what is your morning routine like? My morning routine, my morning routine is pretty dialed in. Um, I wake up without an alarm clock every day and I try to drink a little green drink first. I brush mm -hmm. my teeth, I have my green drink, and then I try to go outside to get a little sunlight in my eyes. Um, I drink some green tea, and then I mm -hmm. ride my bicycle to Starbucks. Is that cliche? I don't know. But oh. I ride my bicycle to Starbucks, and I bring home a little thermos of coffee. And then by that time, I'm ready to make my coffee and start to do a little bit of work. Fantastic. If you were starting over today, knowing what you know now, what would you change? Hmm. Maybe I would have started sooner. I would have taken the leap. That being said, I, I waited to launch my business. I worked on it on nights and weekends, saved up enough money so that it was safe and secure for me to take that leap. And I think that's a really good piece of advice to people. Make sure you've got a little bit of that safety net and work on your business on nights and weekends. Wait until you have customers that are banging down your door, begging you to start it as a business. Absolutely. We've got two minutes until the end. So here's the question I love to ask everyone who inspires and motivates you. I get inspired. I love that book. Um, Atomic Habits by James yeah. Clear, um, yep. Tim Ferriss, mm -hmm. and some of my best friends. I'm lucky to have a great group of friends here. Um, Cody Thanks. Sanchez is one of them. Fantastic. So how can we reach out to you? How can we try with you and vibe with you? Check me out at www.nickgray.net. I'll include some links in the show notes for how to plan a networking event and host a clothing swap and even a baby shower using my party formula. The two-hour cocktail party, find it on Audible and Amazon. Nick, thank you so much for being here. This was fun. I mean, really fun. Thank you for, for doing this with me today. Thanks for having me. More parties in 2023. There we go. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another world-class achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons we can learn along the way. Until next week, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Have a great week. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. We'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.